This morning, God's Word comes to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to begin our reading at verse 12 and then read through verse 49 of this chapter. First Corinthians 15, beginning at verse 12. What we hear now is God's word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We, have even, we are even found to be misrepresenting God, because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised." And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who has put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Why are we in, dan why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning. For some have no knowledge of God, I say this to your shame. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, and another glory of the moon, Another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. 
What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a spiritual body, there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Here we are in the reading of God's holy word. I invite you to turn the back of your Trinity Psalter hymnals, the back section, page 881. Page 881. And we're going to read this morning the two questions and answers of Lord's Day 22, uh, questions 57 and 58. I will read those for you. Reading from page 881, question 57, how does the resurrection of the body comfort you? The answer, not only will my soul be taken immediately after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Question 58, how does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has ever imagined a blessedness in which to praise God eternally. Well, we have been looking together at our confession of faith, the Apostles' Creed, as explained for us in the Heidelberg Catechism. We come to that end of the, uh, of the catechism at this point. This is the last two things we're going to deal with regarding the Apostles' Creed. We've been in that section dealing with the work of the Holy Spirit. We've talked about the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints. We talked last time about the forgiveness of sins. And this morning, we talk about the resurrection of the body. And, and I hope, I hope if I asked you, what text should we look at? to talk about the resurrection of the body. I hope one of the first texts to come to mind would be 1 Corinthians 15. In this beautiful text, Paul lays out for us the, the instruction, the explanation of the resurrection of the body. And he deals not only with the beauty of this topic, but why it's important for us. Why it's significant for us to know that we will be bodily raised at the last day. Now we might say, well, wouldn't it be enough if, uh, if we just existed as disembodied spirits? Wouldn't that be good enough? And Paul says, no. No, we can have an assurance of a bodily resurrection because we look to Christ. He was raised bodily from the grave. He ascended bodily into heaven. And because of our connection with him, we can be assured of a bodily resurrection as well. Paul begins by, by explaining the importance of this truth. There were some who were denying the bodily resurrection. Verse 12, now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. There were some who were claiming that there was no final resurrection. This life was all that there was. Nothing to look forward to in the future. And of course, that's, that's the same spirit of the age today. This is life is all there is. I will eat and drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But Paul says, no, there's more. There is a bodily resurrection that is awaiting us. A bodily resurrection, because if there is no bodily resurrection, if no one is raised, then not even Christ. Christ who was truly human. Yes, he was truly divine as well, but he was truly human. And if there is no resurrection, not even Christ has been raised. And if that is the case, Paul says there are a number of terrible consequences that follow. Look at verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Paul says, we preach Christ who was raised from the dead, who was raised bodily. He was raised for our justification. God was the one who raised him. If the dead are not raised, then the preaching that we do, the preaching of the risen Christ, is in vain. It's empty. It means nothing. In fact, he goes on, verse 15. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. If it's the case, Christ was not raised, we misrepresent God. Our preaching isn't only vain, it's a lie. The gospel becomes a lie that Jesus Christ was raised bodily, ascended bodily into heaven. God, God and his word is no longer trustworthy. God had made promises about the Savior that he would be raised from the dead. God himself becomes a liar if the dead are not raised. For then Christ has not been raised. He goes on, verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You've believed in a risen Savior. You've believed in one who was seen by many. Earlier in this chapter, he talks about being seen by many. But if Christ has not been raised, you believed a lie. And your faith means nothing. You've put your faith in, in a hoax. You've put your faith in a vision, perhaps. Your faith is futile. It is empty if Christ has not been raised, if there is no resurrection of the body. And beyond that, he says in verse 17, and you are still in your sins. You are still in your sins if Christ has not been raised. Remember, Christ went to the cross. Our sins were laid upon him. He went to the grave, taking those sins to the grave with him, and he rose to new life. If it is true, the dead are not raised, and then Christ has not been raised. We have no new life in him. We are still in our sins. His new life is our new life, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, no resurrection of the body, we are still found to be in our sins. And then he says, verse 18, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. No hope, no assurance. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Our hope is in a resurrected Christ, one who has been raised from the grave, one who will raise us as well. That's our confession in question 57. How does the resurrection comfort you? 
not only will my soul be taken after this life to Christ its head, but also my very flesh, raised by the power of Christ, will be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. If, if this life is all that there is, if Christ is, is not bodily raised, we have no hope and we lose our comfort. It's not a small thing to believe in the resurrection of the body. And then Paul goes on so beautifully, verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. All these terrible things, if he hasn't, but in fact, he has been raised. And you can be sure of it. It is an assured fact, Paul says. I think I've said before, our belief in Jesus Christ, our belief in the resurrection, is not just a matter of our faith. Jesus didn't rise because we believe he rose. It's not simply a matter of our faith. It is a matter of fact. Jesus, in fact, rose from the grave. I'll probably get in trouble for saying this. There's a song we sing sometimes. And the chorus of that song says, You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. Well, it may be true that Christ lives in our heart, but that's not how we know he lives. <laughs> there was an objective, factual resurrection. He didn't rise because we believe he rose. He actually rose. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. And then Paul says, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. What does that mean, children? The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. Paul uses an Old Testament picture. In the Old Testament, when they would do their, their farming, maybe their grapes, for example, they would take the first fruit, the first part of the harvest, and they would dedicate that to God. God got the first fruits, and they would do that in confidence that there would be more to come. They would give God the first fruits, being confident God would provide more. And so we see Paul picking up that imagery here. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits, because there will be more. We too will be raised from the dead. He the first fruits, but that means there's more to follow. We have assurance, we have confidence, we have hope. Again, from our confession. How does the article concerning life everlasting comfort you? Even as I already now experience in my heart the beginnings of eternal joy, so after this life I will have perfect blessedness as no eye has seen, as no ear has heard, as no heart imagined in a blessedness in which to praise God eternally because Christ the first fruits rose bodily and we too will be. There is more to hope for. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Then Paul goes on, verse 21. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. And Paul now, now changes his reasoning just a bit, not from that first fruits language, but to what we would call covenant headship language. There's a connection with, with Adam. We have a connection with Adam. He is our first father. And, and in Adam, Paul says, all died, because Adam died. But there was a second Adam. Jesus Christ, 
the one who rose from the dead. We are not only found in that first Adam, but because of covenant headship, we are also found in that second Adam. For as by a man came death, Adam came death, by a man, Jesus Christ, also has come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. The link between us and Jesus Christ. Yes, we are linked to Adam, through whom came death, but we are also linked to Jesus Christ, the one who was bodily raised from the dead, that we might have that same hope and that same assurance. Paul goes on then. He's been arguing somewhat from, we might say, from theology, first fruits language, covenant headship language. Now he's going to argue from experience about how important this glorious truth is. Verse 29, otherwise, he says, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? The baptism of the dead. I am not going to attempt to explain that this morning. Not because we don't have time, because I don't know. There's been much written about what Paul may be referring to when he describes the baptism of the dead, none of which has convinced me enough that I'm comfortable to declare it from the pulpit. I don't know what the baptism for the dead was. But whatever it was, Paul says, it wouldn't make sense to baptize, be baptized for the dead if there's no resurrection. If the dead are not raised at all, why are people baptized on their behalf? Paul says, your own experience says there must be a resurrection. Or why would you bother with whatever this practice was, a baptism of the dead? He argues from their experience, and he argues from his experience. Verse 30, why are we in danger every hour? I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die every day. What do I gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Paul says, why would I do what I do? Why would I live like this? If this life is all that there is. No, there is more. There is more. Christ has been raised from the dead, and we too shall be raised from the dead. Christ has indeed been raised in fact. And that, that then spills over to us, to our assurance. And then Paul concludes, how does this happen? What's the manner of this, this resurrection of the body? Verse 35. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? How is it possible that this resurrection takes place? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. What kind of body? How is this possible? What's the manner in which this takes place? Paul says it's, it's, it's something of a mystery. It's like, it's like growing things. Growing things, they don't always look like the seed that you put in the ground. Uh, spring is coming, and uh, uh, when we lived in northwest Iowa, uh, every spring, if actually, I guess a couple months, in May, in May, the beautiful tulips come up in northwest Iowa, particularly in Orange City, Iowa. If you've been to the Tulip Festival, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you should go see it. It's beautiful. Tulips come up. It's a big celebration. Uh, spring is here again. But children, when you plant tulips, you don't take the flower off the tulip and put that in the ground and hope it becomes a tulip. What comes up looks very, very different than what was planted. There's a bulb in the ground and a beautiful flower comes up. That's what Paul's saying. 
why do you ask how is this possible? Why do you ask what kind of body? Don't you get it? The result may look very, very different than what starts in the ground. This is not the body that, that, that is now, but we look for the body that will be. And what will that body be like? More glorious, more powerful. It'll be a spiritual body. What does he say in 42? So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. Now maybe for us that idea of spiritual body almost seems like an oxymoron, doesn't fit together. But that, that is how Christ was raised. A spiritual body. And as we find ourselves in Him, that is our destiny as well. To be raised as He was raised. Verse 47. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of dust. As is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. That new spiritual body, we can't quite imagine what that is like now. But we know it will be because Christ is that spiritual body. Raised from the dead, ascended to heaven. Right now, his spiritual body in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God, ruling and reigning. And that is the destiny for all who are found in him. The grave is not the end for us. The grave is not the end, but there is that final resurrection. Not just, not just spirits floating in heaven in the end, but bodily raised glorious, powerful, a body that reflects the glory of Jesus Christ, the one who is our head. That's what we look forward to. In the meantime, in the meantime, when we see the frailty of this body, whether that be physical frailty, whether that be spiritual frailty, a frailty as we still find ourselves so quickly turning back to our sinful ways. In the meantime, God has given us a means whereby we may be strengthened. Strengthened not only physically, strengthened spiritually. Strengthened spiritually by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We come to the table this morning to, to feed upon Christ's body and blood in the bread and the wine, to strengthen us, to nourish us, to encourage us. Yes, we know our end. We know our destiny, a, a glorious body with Christ in heaven forever. But right now, right now we remain here on the earth. And so God himself in the supper, in the body and blood of Christ, encourages us and strengthens us. God calls this morning in the word of the gospel. Put your hope, your hope for this life and the life to come, not in yourself, not in this body. Put your hope in Jesus Christ, the one who would who would give up his body to the cross, but would be raised again. We believe in the resurrection of the body. In fact, Christ has been raised. That we might be encouraged. That we might be strengthened. That we might live for the glory of that God. We confess the resurrection of the body. And, and as those who, who embrace Jesus Christ, we align ourselves with his spiritual body. We align ourselves with his church. 
There are blessings of being a member of the body of Christ. Uh, one of those blessings is coming to the table and being strengthened. That is our prayer this morning. We know our destiny, but in the meantime, while we live here below, Christ himself, in his body and blood, strengthens us unto eternal life. Let's join together in prayer. Lord our God, we thank you for the glorious truths you allow, you allow us to confess, for they come from your holy word. We confess the resurrection of the body and life everlasting, not because of who we are or what we have done, but because of your Son, Jesus Christ. We look at him. We look at how he was raised from the dead. We look at how he ascended into heaven where even now he sits at your right hand. May that give us assurance. May that give us hope. May that give us comfort. We are linked not only with the first Adam, the man of dust. We are linked with the second Adam, the man of heaven. And where he is, we will be also. Accept our praise, O God. For Jesus' sake, amen. In the back of the praise book, we have the form for the Lord's Supper. And so if you'd like to turn to page 45 in the back of that book, we're going to begin our reading where it says, celebrating our salvation in Christ. So I'm reading from the back of the praise book, page 45, celebrating our salvation in Christ. Let us also consider the purpose for which our Lord has instituted his supper, that we should do this in remembrance of him. And this is how we remember him by it. First, let us be fully persuaded in our hearts that our Lord Jesus Christ, according to the promises made to our forefathers in the Old Testament, was sent by the Father into this world, that he assumed our flesh and blood, that he took upon himself for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally, that from the beginning of his incarnation until the end of his life on earth, he fulfilled for us all obedience and righteousness of the divine law. This was especially evident when the weight of our sins and the wrath of God caused him to sweat drops of blood in the garden. He was bound so that we might be loosed from our sins. And afterward, he suffered countless insults so that we might never be put to shame. Let us confidently believe that he was innocent, yet put to death, that we might be acquitted on the day of judgment. That he even allowed his own blessed body to be nailed to the cross so as to cancel the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. In doing so, he took from us the curse and bore it himself, so that he might fill us with his blessing. He humbled himself to the very deepest reproach and anguish of hell in body and soul on the cross when he cried out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He did all of this so that we might be accepted by God, never to be rejected by him. Indeed, with his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal covenant, the covenant of grace and reconciliation, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, during the Last Supper, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples, and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
That is, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, as a sure reminder and pledge, you shall be admonished and assured of my great love and faithfulness toward you. Because you otherwise would have suffered eternal death, I give my body and blood for you in my death on the cross. And as certainly as this bread is broken before you, and this cup is given to you, and with your mouth you eat and drink in remembrance of me, so surely do I nourish and refresh for everlasting life your hungry and thirsty souls with my crucified body and shed blood. From the institution of this holy supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see that he directs our faith to his perfect sacrifice, once offered on the cross, as the only foundation of our salvation. By this sacrifice, he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and, and drink of eternal life. For by his death, he has taken away the cause of our eternal death and misery, our sin. He has also obtained for us the life-giving spirit, who dwells in Christ our head and enables us, who are his members, to have communion with him and be made partakers of his riches, including eternal life, righteousness, and glory. Besides, by this same spirit, we are also united as members of one body in true Christian love. As the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As many grains are ground to prepare one loaf of bread, and as many grapes are pressed together to produce wine, so we who by true faith are incorporated into Christ shall be one body through Christian love for the sake of our dear Savior, Jesus Christ. He loved us so, deep, so greatly in order that he might show his love toward one another, not only in words, but also in deeds. May the almighty, merciful God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his holy supper. Amen. That we may obtain these blessings. Let us humble ourselves before God and with true faith implore him for his grace. Let's pray together. Merciful God and Father, we cherish the blessed memory of the death and suffering of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. We ask that in this supper, you will so work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that with true confidence we might give ourselves up more and more unto your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray that this might allow our burdened and contrite hearts to be nourished and refreshed with the true body and blood of Him who is true God and true man, the only heavenly bread. Empower us to no longer live in our sins, knowing that he lives in us and we in him. May we truly be partakers of the new and everlasting covenant of grace. May we not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, who does not impute the guilt of our sins to us and provides us with all that we need for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. Grant us also your grace, that we may take up our cross cheerfully, deny ourselves, confess our Savior, and in all tribulation, with uplifted head, expect our Lord Jesus Christ from heaven. There he will make our mortal bodies like unto his glorified body, and take us to be with him in eternity. Answer us, O God, and merciful Father, through Jesus Christ. Amen. By this holy supper, may we also be strengthened in our Catholic, undoubted Christian faith, of which we make profession with heart and mouth. Let's all confess the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried, he descended into hell. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For all who have requested permission to come to the Lord's table, we welcome you to join us in the supper. That we may be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread, let us not cling with our hearts to external things like bread and wine, but lift our hearts to heaven where our advocate, Jesus Christ, is at the right hand of his heavenly Father where the articles of our Christian faith direct us. Let us not doubt that we shall be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. The bread which we break is a communion of the body of our Lord.
Take, eat, remember, and believe the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was given for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. The cup of blessing which we bless is a communion of the blood of Christ.
Take, drink, remember, and believe the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was shed for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord has now nourished our souls at his table, let us together praise his holy name with thanksgiving. Let everyone say in his heart, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all within me bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he 